You're listening to a sermon from Metro North Church in Goose Creek, South Carolina. If you'd like to connect with us, then visit us online at metronorthchurch.com. Well, good morning. I, I think I know most of you, but there are some new faces here. I'd definitely give a special welcome if any of our teachers and families are here and aides. Um, I want you all to give a warm welcome for my mom and dad who are here today. Let's just say thank you. They had to raise me. They need a little, yeah. My good. They are here from uh, North Carolina. My father's a chaplain. And uh, also, just so you know, John and Jackie have been on a three-month uh, study sabbatical. John is jumping in tomorrow, back off of his sabbatical. And John, we have missed you. We welcome you back. Um, we are in a series on joy. Psalm chapter 1 is where we're going to be looking today. And here's what we're looking at these next uh, number of weeks. We're learning as a church family to stop doing something. We're going to stop living for a self-manufactured joy. And instead, we're going to live from joy that we can receive only from Christ. Please stand. Psalm 1 has been labeled by Christians the gateway to unupsettable gladness. Why? Well, let's read it and find out. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Would you pray with me? Father, why have your followers, why have your children called this psalm the gateway to gladness. We're going to need your spirit to come and to teach us today. Father, I pray, I thank you that most of scripture, it does speak to us, but I, I thank you that the psalms have a way to speak for us. Father, I know that you understand that there's many here today that are just full of sorrow and they desire joy. Send your spirit to create fresh joy even now. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, with your Bibles open, please be seated. You know, we've been thinking about the joy of teaching children, and we have this as a premier ministry, but many of you that raise kids or grandparents that take care of these kids would probably enjoy a blog that I heard about recently. It's a wonderful blog where parents can submit pictures of their kids crying, but they've got to give the reason for why their kid is so unhappy, so lacking in joy. Take a look at these. This child, I wouldn't let him crawl into a 400-degree Fahrenheit oven. Or how about this poor child? I wouldn't let him eat the rest of the football. <laughs> these are, these are, this, is, this is true stuff here. Look at this one here. I wouldn't let him get a tattoo. That's a bummer. Grandparents are happy about that though, right? How about this one here? I broke this cheese in half. Just the breaking of cheese can break your heart. And then this one's my favorite. 
there was a hot dog hidden in his cornbread. <laughs> you know, we, we laugh because we think we've become older. We can hold on to joy, but aren't we like these kids? Aren't we like these kids? We so much want joy. They just want to be happy. Well, take a look at the beginning of this psalm, Psalm 1. Look at the word blessed. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. What does that mean? It'll be used 26 times in the Psalms. And Jesus, in his ministry, will use this word 25 times. How many of you remember when Jesus was giving his own sermon one day and he said, Happy, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This psalm begins with the same word that Jesus said over and over and over, blessed, happy. But the 1960s, which some of you have lived through, gave our cultural word happy a certain flavor. How many of you remember this image? Happiness is a warm puppy. That idea of happiness this quick little experience with your puppy. Now, we've got two little Westies. My wife at night loves to cuddle up with that dog. Makes me jealous. When you, when you cuddle up to a warm little dog, once you walk away from that little dog, you've got to still face life. Happiness, our culture has said, is sort of a shot of dopamine based on a circumstance like a warm puppy. It gives you, like, arousal immediately. It brings you in a state of ecstasy. It heightens your attention. We want that. But today, that happiness is kind of superficial. It's fragile. It's fleeting. See, it changes with your circumstances or the scenery of your life. Happiness, we think, oh, if God wants me to be happy, it's one-dimensional. It's light. I want joy. I want something three-dimensional. I want something unupsettable. So when you hear this psalm begin with blessed, and if it means happy, you sit there and say, this isn't going to fix me. But have you ever actually said to yourself, not only does the warm puppy make me feel happy, haven't you ever said, I just want to be happy? Haven't you kind of made that little air of, okay, happiness is superficial, but I want to be happy. You're tapping into this word happy. Now, it's the Hebrew word and I'll put it on the screen, Asher. Maybe this will wake you up and say, okay, I don't need to worry about how the culture has used a word. I need to use the word that God supplies. The word Asher has no equivalent in literature at this time. It's a word we only get from God. What does it mean? Asher or blessed means God supremely favors you. And you are fortunate Blessed is actually a state. It's the way someone is. Blessed. It is not primarily a circumstance. It's like the word joy that we would use. Some of you would say, I'm in a terrible financial state. Or some of you are married to a real moody person, and they're going to go talk to one of the kids, and you're like, you are not in a state to go talk to the kids right now. Asher is a state. It is a condition. And I, it's hard to capture in English what the Hebrew is because it's called a plural of intensity. 
the best way is it's just some, it starts off and it says, oh, the happiness. It's there's intensity. Oh, the happiness of someone who is favored by God. It's like wanting to be in a race. The pistol goes off. There is that shot of dopamine. There is that warm puppy moment. But a race is about beginning something that anticipates something even better. Asher is such a unique word. And the stem is the wor- are the words go on, advance, overflow in joy. Many of you have followed one of my favorite writers, Eugene Peterson. His last words this, this last week when he died were, let's go. I wonder if he was tapped into this word joy, this word blessed, this word happy. Now, this psalm pronounces an unearned blessing, and we're just going to shortly look at three ways that we can experience this blessedness. The title, if you want to follow along today, is just called Joyful Are Those, and there's going to be three ways that this blessed, this psalm opens up, three ways to follow today. I want you to picture a path. I secondly want you to picture a tree, and thirdly, I want you to picture a a hospital bed. Now, this will make sense. A path, a tree, and a hospital hospital bed. Number one, joyful, blessed are those who take the right listening path. Our happiness is tied up to who we listen to. The path or road to happiness has never been easy, but it's always been clear. Take a look at verse 1. Blessed, Asher, oh, favored one, is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. A path. I want you to picture, look at this picture of a fork in the road. Not that kind of fork. Now, this psalm will bring up pictures. We have to make sure we get them right. A path, a tree. A hospital bed. Put up the next slide there, will you? This is what I want you to picture. Picture a fork in the road because if you have been searching for happiness, you've got to take the right path. You have to. There is a contrast that is given here of two paths. Oh, contrast is so good. Teachers that teach little kids, you know this. Contrast is the mother of clarity. Don't walk down this listening path. Walk down this one. God is going to say, no, 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 do not take this path. And some of you are like, why is God so negative? Well, a good teacher tells you not what to believe or not what to think because they're saying, oh, 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 the happiness if you just take this path. The happy guy will be described by two sets of three things to avoid. Picture it this way. It's an image of walking along a path, and maybe you see these road signs that, you know, just tell you where to go. Do we, I don't know if we have, do we have a picture of the road signs, Dylan? Well, picture with me if we don't have one of these. You ever see one of these road signs that has all of these sort of lateral, go this way, go this way, go this way? We're going to meet these guys. Two sets, we're going we're to look at two sets of three things that we're supposed to avoid. And I want you to think of these things, these, these poles that have these ways to go. Now, this is going to sound complex, which it is, but it's not complicated. Set number one, 
Do not listen to three guys. Wicked guys, sinful guys, and scoffers. Who are these people? Wicked people and their counsel, their words. This was a Hebrew word that meant they're pretty loose in how they take God's word. Yeah, there's some things in there about right and wrong, but I'm pretty loose about it. It was used of people that got a bone out of joint. That's how loose they were. You can't function if one of your bones is a bit loose, can you? And yet a wicked person mentioned four times in this psalm who we're not to listen to, they're slack when it comes to God's word. They want to give you advice. You want happiness? You want to experience that blessed life? Don't listen to that individual. Happiness is contingent on tight, discerning reasoning. Second guy in this first set, he's a sinner. I know for some of you it's like, oh, I've heard that term before. What's it mean? A sinner is someone who's supposed to be aiming at God, loving Him perfectly, and aiming at others, loving them perfectly, and guess what they decide to do? They direct all their attention to themselves, and they miss the target. Don't walk down the path with this guy. Don't walk with a guy who is self-centered, and wants to target their personal happiness. They will misdirect you. And the third guy is a scoffer. Who's that? Well, a scoffer is someone who dismisses and discounts any directions given to him. You ever meet somebody who doesn't want to take directions? This is someone who refuses to be corrected. They brush aside any authority from God's Word. We as human beings are corrigible. That means we make mistakes. When you meet a scoffer, they don't believe they ever make mistakes, and they don't take correction. Last week, I was just excited about joy and saying it's what a mother feels when her child is born with five fingers and five toes. And I heard some laughter. And afterwards, somebody told me, Howard, a mother is not joyful if the kid has five fingers and five toes. They need ten. And you know what I said in my heart? I stand corrected. Uh, most of you gave me the grace. He was trying to make a point, but he got his details wrong. When you meet a scoffer, they're never wrong. They do not need correction. You want to be happy? Don't go with the guy that never takes correction. Happiness, in the end, actually boils down to who you listen to. That's the first set. The second set of two we need to avoid three actions. You read them, didn't you? Walking, standing, and sitting. The happy life is a series of movements heading in a direction, and you have to notice the progression. You're not supposed to walk with somebody. That means don't start to believe their narrative, their false story. Secondly, don't stand with them. That means you're now starting to behave their way to manufacture your own happiness. And lastly, don't sit, don't belong to a group that applauds you for your selfish living and says you can believe however you want to believe as long as you're happy. This is the path to avoid. Well, we're to avoid this path when we're listening to others and instead we're supposed to take a different path where we absorb something. What do we do? We can avoid these individuals, but what do we look at? Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Delight! This is a word that is just so full. It means elevated pleasure rooted in two passions. 
Delight has allure and desire. It has attraction and arousal. The word delight is a dance of these two things. Delight is the flashpoint where allure and desire explode like fireworks. Delight. That's the center of my life. For the Hebrew, delight was like happiness tap dancing in the heart. Oh, we want it. What was this man delighting in? The law. Some of you go, oh, please, the law. That was his delight. Not only did it allure him and entice him, but it was the passion that satisfied. And many of you go, well, how in the world could this book of words about how to live in law, how could that give delight? Well, let me ask you a question. Don't you delight in the law of gravity? I mean, if I could snap my fingers and that law would disappear, wouldn't this room get really weird all of a sudden? We love the law of gravity because it's given to us. It's just given to us. It tells us how things are, and we don't have to make it up. We love the law of gravity. We love that. It's a law is a reliable gift from God on how life is to be guided. Now, this guy, he delights in the law. How? Day and night. Day and night, and he does something called meditation. Meditation. That word in Hebrew was a word that actually had sound to it. In fact, it was a word that, if you can take a look at this pigeon, you ever hear the cooing of a pigeon? That sort of, that, that sort of, you're feeding a pigeon and it's making that sound. Or it was used of the roaring of a lion over its prey. Now, I've never seen a lion over its prey, but it's just getting ready to dig in. This man is sitting in the morning and in the evening and taking God's Word and reading it aloud. I wonder how many of you ever read the Word of God aloud. Some of you try to read it and you fall asleep. What if you read it aloud? Why is this person so joyful to read it aloud like a pigeon that would coo or a lion? Because they're turning up the volume of the voice of God so that they can turn down the volume of their self and their circumstances and the scenery that ain't all happy as a warm puppy all the time. Speaking the scriptures gives you a concentrated fixation on hearing God's word to you. I love what Jonathan Edwards said. He was a pastor like I am of a congregation this size, and he wanted his people to experience joy. So he said, I'm going to teach you how. He said, if you want to increase your spiritual appetite for joy in God, meditate on God. Meditate on God. He, he gave the example, the thing that you meditate on, you want now, for me, it hits about midnight. In my mind, I'm just sitting there, and I start to picture in my pantry a bag of chips. And my mind gets concentrated. It fixates. Sometimes I'm sitting there, and it's like, I'm going to get me a bag of chips. That's meditation because what happens when you're bored at midnight and you want the midnight snack, as soon as I say to myself, that chocolate chip cookie would taste so good, all of a sudden my hunger increases. See, it was an idea, but I'm talking to myself about it. And the next thing you know, those chips or that chocolate chip cookie are now in me. 
It works the same way with Scripture. When does he meditate? Day and night. It's a lifestyle. Day and night. Let me ask you this question before we move from the path to the tree. Are you happy? I'm talking about the Asher kind of happy. So full of the favor and joy of God. Or has your life kind of flattened out? Kind of grayed because of your discouragements? So many people will say, just be happy. Like those kids, just be happy. But you know, when someone tells you to be happy, it's like a kick in the teeth especially when you're going through a rough, dark spot. It's like telling an insomniac who just can't go to sleep, just tell yourself to go to sleep. It doesn't work, does it? But here we're given this gift. You want to be happy? Take this path. The second way to be happy, happy are those, number two, who live like a tree. A tree? Psalm 1-3, it says it exactly. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in season. Its leaf doesn't wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Many of you have pictured like this picture, a tree by a river. The Hebrew word wasn't just a tree that popped up. It was the word transplanted. See, we often have our joys planted in the wrong things, warm puppies that get cold. You need to be a tree that uproots out of your current set of joys that are not God and are transplanted. You need to be like a tree transplanted. Roots now sinking deep into the ground, latitudinally, diagonally, drinking in, depending on a free water supply that you never created. The more the dependence, the more the durability for that tree. There's permanence. Now, I want to switch the image because many of you know this psalm and you fall asleep right now. I know I'm supposed to be like a tree. I want to switch the image to all of you being in a boat out in the middle of a lake. Each of you belong to one of these groups. I wonder which group you belong to. Group number one says, I want to be happy, but I will be in my boat and there is no heavy chain and there is no anchor. Do not tell me how to be happy. I will experience happiness. And you go around, but the problem is you keep bouncing into all the other boats that don't have heavy chains and don't have anchors, anchors, and my happiness might get in the way of your happiness. And the other problem with that lake is that there's rocks around it, and if you have nothing that you're planted into and anchored down into, you end up crashing all over. Look at our culture that wants to be so happy, and they're anxious, crashing into each other, some of you live in that boat, and the good news for you today is you need to live like a tree. The second group, and I think it's many of you in this room, you would say, that's silly. My boat has that heavy, heavy, heavy chain, and you appreciate God. But you have not yet planted your joy into the heart of God because that scares you. So you're like that boat that slowly bangs into other boats. Or slow motion train wrecks against the rocks because you will not absolutely sink your heart into the heart of God in absolute dependence. You were brought here today to hear the gospel. You will never be happy because what will happen is you will let yourself down or you'll become prideful with that heavy chain. And that's not the way to live life. But there's a portion of you who are anchored your boat is anchored into Christ and your boat moves freely, but it doesn't hit the rocks. 
It moves freely and it doesn't bang into the other boats because it never would anchor to Christ. You're in love with other, what other people really need. What group do you belong to? Because blessed is the man who is like a tree. Your life begins to be productive. Look at the overflow of the fruit. Who does a tree overflow fruit for? Not for itself. If most of your unhappiness is, I just can't be happy with what I want, you're not living like a tree. A tree has oranges and apples, not for itself. I've never seen a tree pick its own fruit and eat it, ever. We live for others. We live for God. Everything about this tree is valuable. So many of you are living your life and you'd hate to die and feel like my life didn't amount to anything. Not this tree. Even the leaves don't wither. We know what the leaves are. They're those food manufacturing parts of the tree that just are out there bringing in the sun and creating the oxygen. But those leaves don't wither. Why? The seasons change because the tree is rooted into the water and the moisture never gives up. Those leaves always have moisture because the moisture of this tree is not dependent on the moment. It's dependent on the source, the free source of the stream. They never dry up. And leaves, I know this from all the nursing I've done, many leaves are used to heal. Many of you are taking medicines right now just to function because of the leaves of a tree. Prosperity, it promises. That means that you'll finally reach your goal. How many of you are just so tired of not getting where you hope to get? This tree prospers. There is fruit and leaves on this tree. The goal is reached. Contrast, teachers, you know this. Contrast, not this, but that, is the mother of clarity. This tree is so productive. Oh, look what it says here in verse 4. The wicked are not so. The ones that are loose, out of joint. Eh, I like the Bible, but not all of it. Come on, I'm not that intense. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. I'm no farmer, but I'm told that if you have grain and you want the kernel, that little part that's the sleeve or that thing that's around it, the straw, it blows away. It's not even needed. For me, it's like walking through a Walmart parking lot and seeing a cigarette butt on a windy day or a receipt, and it blows by. I'm not picking it up. It doesn't matter anymore. It has no purpose. The wicked who are on this path of our own happiness are like the wind that is just blowing you away. I don't want that to be my life. I don't want that to be your life. Is your life just selfish shopping and accumulating and busyness and overwork? Rinse, repeat. Look at verse 5. Therefore, the wicked won't even stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Ah, that word judgment, it shrinks us in. We get scared of it. Judgment. I think everybody in here judges all the time. Some of you may not be Christians and you think, I don't even know why I'm at church today because Christians are so judgy. Wait just a minute here. This psalm says that judgment is involved with happiness. And God is going to have something called the judgment. And let's be honest with ourselves. Pick a day, any day, you will make a judgment. Students, you're going to have to figure out this week if you're going to cheat on a test or get a bad grade. Parents, grandparents, you are going to have to make a decision this week 
when you're in the checkout line and your child or grandchild demands that they get more candy. And you're going to have to say, do I give them their demand or do I hold firm and make them delay their desire? We make judgments every day. We make judgments every minute. No one navigates a day without judging in word or deed. You always say, this is better than that. This is more right than this. We do it all the time. Let's stop acting like we don't. And let's start telling the truth about the fact that we all judge. Let's stop fluffing our phrases like, I'm not trying to be judgy. Because that doesn't change the truth any more than saying, with all due respect, before you disrespect somebody for their faulty views. But remember this. In this psalm of gladness, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. That is not our responsibility. God has a day where we will all stand in judgment. Well, if you're not like a tree connected into soil and water, you're going to experience death. Howard, is there any good news here? You told me about the path, and I feel a little bit wicked and sinful and even scoffing at times. And now you're telling me that I'm supposed to be like a tree, and I don't think I'm like that boat that's just anchored in. What's the good news today, Howard? I'm feeling judged. Number three, I told you to think about a hospital bed. Why? Joyful are those who know that the king cares about their cares. What does that mean? Look at verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Joy is a life or death issue. Your experience with God in relationship to Him is a life or death issue, and the only thing that will help you if you are on your deathbed is if you have a good doctor. Look at this picture. Don't you want, if you're just not doing well, someone to come next to you? Don't we want a doctor who will watch over us? That's the idea behind God knows you. But he doesn't just watch over you. He deems you worthy when you're sick and unworthy of righteousness. Don't you want a doctor that looks at you and says, oh, you you better be happy because I'm taking care of you. Oh, how happy it is. I favor you. You're under my cure. I know how to fix this disease of yours. The word no is not just an acquaintance. No, this is like a doctor who knows your suffering, your condition, your concerns. It's used in Exodus chapter 2 of the two million slaves that would be set free. Listen to what it says in Exodus 2 about God knowing his people. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant. God saw the people of Israel, and God, what does it say? Knew. Well, if God knows us, and he knows that we're wicked and sinful and unrighteous, and we've not walked against traffic on the path, what's the hope? Well, we get a clue if we go back to the first verse and we ask ourselves, who is the man? Why is this psalm about the man? And how did three theologians agree on the identity of the man and come to the same conclusion? See if you agree with Augustine 
Luther and Calvin about the identity of the man. They said, first of all, you have to notice that the man is a singular individual. It's not about all of us. You mean my joy depends on a single individual in history? Yes, it does. And the man in Scripture often refers to a ruler or a king. Here's an example, Genesis 42, 30. It said, the man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. Have you ever heard the phrase, stick it to the man? That's the boss, that's the leader, that's the ruler. The man in the psalm was to meditate day and night. That's interesting. Here's another clue. In Scripture, it was the king, the ruler, who was to meditate on the law of God to lead the people of God day and night. Look at Deuteronomy 17. Verse 18, it says, When he, that's the king, sits on his throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, and he shall read in it all the days of his life. Look at Joshua 1.8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. When? Day and night. Who is this man? Here's another clue. Who is this man who is like a tree? In the Scripture, over and over and over, a king is compared to a tree. Most of you know the story in Daniel about Nebuchadnezzar, great king who had a dream, but he didn't know what it meant. It was about a tree. And Daniel comes along and says this in verse 20 of Daniel 4. The tree you saw, Nebuchadnezzar, which grew and became strong, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, it is you, O king." This is a psalm that starts about blessedness, but it's about a man. Who is the man? Did you know in the entire Old Testament, the Messiah, Christ, Jesus, would come to rescue sinners, giving great joy? He would bring in the kingdom, and the Messiah was described like a tree. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. One last thing. Psalm 1 and 2, many people believe, were one song. We break it up. Psalm 2 is all about a king. Psalm 2 is all about a king on Zion. Psalm 2 is about Christ, and it ends and it says, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is good news. Christ is the blessed man. He avoided that path of sin that all of us have taken. He loved the law of his Father. Jesus Christ then, because of our wickedness and sin, was disconnected from the joys of the Father. Jesus Christ would plant himself into our humanity, our wicked humanity, and Jesus Christ would be judged. Yeah, we make decisions every day, this, not that, this is better than that, let's tell the truth, and Jesus told the truth about you and about me. Judgment on a tree for wickedness, sin, and scoffing must occur if we would have any joy again. Jesus the King. Jesus like a tree. On a tree. A tree. A single life with its roots in a given place branching out with startling beauty and fruit to feed upon. Jesus like a tree. On a tree. Do you trust that he knows your need. Do you trust? Do you really trust that he took action to rescue you like a caring doctor who has a cure?
be honest with me. Especially those of you that are the boats with those chains and no anchor or the boats without anything. Or maybe even the boat with the anchor and you have forgotten the beauty of Jesus. Would you be honest with me? Are you planted into and attached to a life in Christ? If yes, oh, happy is the man. If yes, if this trust in Christ is true of you, you're on the true path of happiness. And that's good news. And attached to Jesus, this is a life or death issue, your joy. You're never going to perish. You are never going to perish. I conclude with two very specific paths to take. Because many of you would say, Howard, I get it. This is good, but could I walk out of here even this week with two ways to be more joyful? I want to experience this. Number one, uproot yourself like this tree from some container that you've allowed your life to live into. You specifically know what it is, but you know it is not bringing you life. It's probably a really good thing. Maybe you rooted yourself into somebody's opinion of you. Well, you might be humble and listen, but if that's all your life is about, or the changing opinions of everybody around you, maybe this week you can uproot from somebody's opinion about you and look at the favor that your Savior has about you. For others of you, maybe you need to uproot from a goal. Many of you have said this, not out loud, but in your heart. I'll have joy, Howard, but it's when I... What if you just take your heart out of that? You will have joy when you... In my stage of life, I want to be a grandparent. Now, that puts pressure on my five kids, right? Taryn, right? Paige is going to get married. Is my joy dependent on having a grandchild? If I can uproot from these lesser good things and be like a tree planted, what is it for you? A goal? I'll have joy when I get that grade, that job, that level of income. Get off of that. Secondly, this is so practical, meditate day and night. Most of you don't read your Bibles. Let's let's be honest. I'm going to make a judgment as your pastor. I'm not going to make you raise your hands, but did you really get up and end your day every day this week? soaking in the words of your Savior. No, you didn't, did you? What if you schedule on your Google Calendar time with Jesus? I'm serious. You'll put in when you're going to go on a date. You'll put in when you have to pay a bill. You'll put in when you have something for school. You will put in a lot on your calendars. Why don't you schedule a time with the man? In my life, I struggle in the morning to pray, but I have decided to get on my knees and I read a little bit of the Psalms. And I read them kind of quiet like a cooing pigeon or a roaring lion. Because if I don't read it, I just fall right back to sleep. Get on my knees, and I read out loud, and it comes alive. And at night, I usually read a little bit of a Christian book. Somebody that just loves walking on the path with Jesus, I'll read it before I go to sleep. What about you? Those of you that want joy, it sounds crazy, but just set up a date with Jesus. Joy is a path of listening. It's a tree where we reach into one living relationship. It's a hospital bed where God knows. And he has not judged you. He has judged himself. And his new judgment on you is you are favored. Oh, happy is the man. Would you pray with me? Father, many in our community won't even come to church to any church because they consider it a place of judgment. But we've seen today that your judgment fell on your only son. Oh, Father, 
We struggle in this group to find happiness. We think it's our stuff. We think it's our money. We think it's the next warm puppy. God, I just ask that you would help us to fall in love with your son again. I thank you that he came and planted himself into our humanity and that we are promised to once again see the tree of life and enjoy fruit from you forever. In Christ's name we pray, amen.